0: The following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. Well today we're going to continue on briefly in our uh, study through the book of Acts, Acts chapter 18, if you find your place there in the scriptures. We're going to look at the first portion of chapter 18, verses 1 through 11, this is Uh, Following up from last week, the title is very similar, almost the same, but the location's different. We're still talking about confronting the culture with the gospel. Last week, uh, Paul found himself in Athens, and this week he's going to be in Corinth. And so before we read the scripture and just talk for for a few minutes about it, I want you to think about a time in your own life where God encouraged you at just the right moment maybe you were starting to be be discouraged and starting to maybe lose hope in a situation you were in or maybe your circumstances were not at all what you thought they would would be and you just really uh you felt like you were coming to the end of your rope so to speak maybe emotionally uh, maybe physically Maybe uh, in, in a job situation, or maybe in school, uh, at some point you just you thought, you know, I just I don't know how much more of this I can take. And then, right at the right moment, God spoke to you, or or He showed you something. He brought a person across your path with just the right words at just the right time, or He He showed you some sort of a sign that you realize at that moment it's, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Things are not as bad as I thought they were. And there is hope. There is a reason to still have joy and be encouraged. And uh, if you've ever uh, had a moment like that, I've, I've thought of a couple in my own life. I've already told these stories here in church before, so I won't go through them again, especially for time's sake. But, uh, you know, when I was out in the in yellowstone it's almost 20 years ago and you know we just run across a bear on the path and thought we weren't going to be able to get back and the boat was gone and all that you know and we we started walking back trying to to make it back through uh the woods and everything and ended up running into two guys and sharing the gospel with them and god showed us then hey i had a plan don't worry i had a plan and then when i was in peru on a mission trip and the tire blew out on the van and we're up there in the middle of nowhere in the mountains and we prayed for an air pump and here comes this little Peruvian dude on a dirt bike with an air pump strapped to it. I mean, it's, you know, time after time you just have these experiences when you think hope is lost but then for that brief moment you just forgot who God was. You forgot how powerful He is and that He's not limited in any way like we are. And then he spoke to you right at the right moment. Well, this is what happened to Paul here in the city of Corinth. So uh, we're going to just read these 11 verses, talk a little bit about it, and uh, hopefully we'll see some good truth and application for our own lives. So let's look uh, together at Scripture, Acts 18, beginning verse 1. Here's what the Bible says. After these things, he left Athens, went to Corinth. He found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. He came to them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they were working, for by trade they were tent makers. And he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the Word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I'm clean. From now on I'll go to the Gentiles. Then he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, whose house was next to the synagogue. And Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians when they heard, were believing and being baptized. And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. And he settled there a year and six months, teaching the Word of God among them. Father, in Jesus' name I pray. You will speak to our hearts today with clarity. Help us understand. And then help us obey. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is a real interesting part of Paul's second missionary journey. He's been all uh, all over the place to many different cities as we've already seen in the last several chapters of Acts. But today, there's three particular points in this 11 verse Little passage that I think can be very helpful to us. Uh, last week we were talking about how Paul would preach the gospel in, in multiple circumstances and, and despite opposition. But today uh, there's some things that we can see about sharing the gospel I think that would be helpful for us on a practical level. Number one, share the gospel no matter where you go. Share the gospel no matter where you go. Paul had left Athens the region of Macedonia, under great distress, if you recall. He was being persecuted, he was being beat up, dragged out, you know, put in jail. And he finally, God delivered him from that, and then so he said, I'm going from here, and he had some guys take him over to Corinth, and he had left word, hey, you other guys, they're staying behind, you join me when you can. so he had gone from Athens to Corinth because of persecution and resistance to the message. Now, Paul had left Athens to go to Corinth, and this Corinth, of course, we've talked about many times, is uh, we could liken it to uh, maybe what we think about Las Vegas, sin city. Okay, Corinth was a a corrupt place. It was uh, fairly wealthy, had a lot of uh, industry, a lot of commerce going on there, and so with that came a lot of immorality, and the city where the church was located Uh, Where now, and this is interesting because if you read 1st and 2nd Corinthians, you're talking about Paul writing back to a church. Well, right here is where the church started. Okay, so Paul is in Corinth here uh, on the front end. As a matter of fact, uh, you could go and read some in 1st Corinthians, 2nd Corinthians, and kind of get an idea of what's going on here. F.F. Bruce said this way He said, This is plain to readers of Paul's Corinthian correspondence that the Christian community which he founded here in Corinth had difficulty maintaining the standards of morality required by the gospel. And so this city was tough. You talk about trying to be a Christian, trying to live the gospel out, trying to share the gospel in the midst of just uh, terrible, terrible surroundings. And that's where they were in Corinth. So first thing Paul did was he found two other... Jewish believers, husband and wife, Aquila and Priscilla. And they're mentioned here that they had the same trade. And this was interesting because they had to leave Italy, leave Rome because of the emperor. Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave. And so there was all, all kind of uh, persecution being directed toward anyone who might conceivably cause trouble for the emperor or for the Roman Empire. And so these two... Believers had come to Corinth, which is kind of an outpost, uh, the region of Achaia is where it was, but uh, they had gone uh, away from Rome and Paul met up with them. So he joined up with them working during the week. Now here's what's interesting about this whole arrangement, as you see here in the first four verses. Paul typically wanted to devote all his time to preaching. Right? That's what he did. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and during the week he's always out sharing the gospel. But here, there was a different arrangement because he had to, I guess, uh, supplement his resources in order to be able to go to the synagogue on the Sabbath. So during the week, he's working another job trying to get enough resources together to then uh, last through the time over the weekend, so to speak, when he's devoting himself to the scriptures, and sharing the gospel. So he's working as a tent maker with Priscilla and Aquila, and then he's going to the, uh, to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and it says that he is um, reasoning, trying to persuade. That was his normal, uh, normal mode of operation. So Bruce again says this. Here, Sabbath by Sabbath, he held discourse with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, showing how Jesus had fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies. Now that's important, especially for the Jewish people. So according to the Western text, he did this by inserting the name of the Lord Jesus as an interpretive expansion in those passages which, as the events proved, pointed forward to him. So in other words, here's what Paul would do. He would take all these Old Testament scriptures that people knew, especially the Jews. They knew the Old Testament really well. But he would take those Old Testament scriptures and he would insert the name of Jesus into the strategic parts of them to show through history, hey, Jesus fulfilled this prophecy. This this isn't talking about some random person. Jesus did that. And so line after line after line in the Old Testament, he would show them, hey, you know that scripture that you memorized as a child? Well, Jesus did that. And he did over and over and over, so that's how he would persuade he would show the evidence because Jesus in his life and death and in his resurrection, he demonstrated that he fulfilled the prophecies. So if the people knew the scriptures at all, he would point out to them how Jesus was the Messiah. He would, he would prove, he would reason and persuade. That was his way of doing it. So it was very, very compelling. So the first four verses of this passage show us how it doesn't matter where Paul goes, he's going to tell them about Jesus. Doesn't matter where he is, doesn't matter what's happening, he's going to share the gospel. And so we can take that, share the gospel no matter where you go. Number two, share the gospel no matter what the response. Now, this is important, especially in Paul's life, because he always got some opposition, right? did not matter where he went, somebody, usually the Jewish folks in that city, is going, they're, they're going to oppose what he's doing, and they're going to usually meet him, maybe even with some violence. So you see in verses five and six, this is when uh, Silas and Timothy show up. They remember he told them, when he left Athens and went to Corinth, he said, "Hey, y'all, catch up with me when you can." And so here they showed up. They left Macedonia, that region in Athens. They show up and meet Paul in Corinth. Now let me tell you what an interesting thing that just happened here, because this changes what Paul's able to do. You see in the first section we just talked about. Paul is working as a tent maker during the week, working a secular job, trying to get some income, to have the resources, to devote himself over the weekend to share the gospel in the synagogue on the Sabbath day, trying to reason and persuade the Jews and the Greeks. Well, when Silas and Timothy show up, not only do they bring him some encouragement and some reinforcements, so to speak, they also bring him a gift, a monetary gift from the believers back in Philippi. So here's what's happening. The news they brought, especially Timothy's news about the steadfastness of those uh, persecuted converts of Thessalonica, it it was a great relief to Paul. But at the same time, uh, a gift of money from his friends in Philippi relieved him for the time being of that necessity to support himself by tent making. So he was then able to concentrate on the preaching of the gospel trying to convince the Jewish hearers that the Messiah had already come and it was Jesus. So he's still, the teaching hasn't changed but the time he has available to devote to it has changed. So Silas and Timothy show up with a monetary gift say, hey, you need to be concentrating on the gospel. That's your mission effort. That's your goal. So we've got some resources here sent from your friends in Philippi So Paul now is devoting himself completely to the word. He's solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah and here's what's happening. Here's the opposition that he always encounters. So Paul preaches the gospel. He's convincing them, persuading them that Jesus is the Messiah but look at verse 6. But when they resisted and blasphemed. See they're not just disagreeing. They're they're basically cursing him. They're cursing the name of Jesus. They're blaspheming the name of the Lord. And then, so this is uh, more of a passionate, uh, emotional disagreement. This is uh, on the verge of violence, a violent reaction in opposition to the gospel. So look what Paul does. This is uh, very uh, profound in that culture. It says that Paul shook out his garments. You remember when uh, Jesus was on the earth in his earthly ministry and he told the disciples when they went from town to town, if they receive you, great. If they don't, he said this phrase, shake the dust off your sandals and go to the next one. Remember that? All right, so you know why he did that? Same thing Paul's doing here. He says he shook out his garments. So uh, figuratively speaking, here's what he's trying to demonstrate to his audience. He says, all right, you, you uh, don't believe my message. You resist the gospel. So here's what he does. He takes his coat. He, he doesn't want one single speck of dust from that synagogue on his person. I don't want any part of you. you you've rejected the Lord of glory. You've rejected Jesus Christ. So I, I don't want anything on me that might uh, infect me from your rejection of the gospel. So he takes his clothes just shakes them out. I don't, want, I don't want any part of the synagogue anywhere near me. And then he makes this statement. Your blood's on your own head. You choose to reject the gospel. Back in Acts 13, he told the, the Jewish audience, you judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. You, don't think, you think you're too good uh, for Jesus to come and die for your sins. So guess what? Your blood's on your own head. He says, I'm clean. In other words, I'm innocent. I have faithfully proclaimed to you the truth that Jesus Christ is God. He is the Messiah. Jesus is God in the flesh. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He offers you forgiveness of sins and salvation and eternal life. But you don't want it. You don't want it. So that's not on me. I have given you the truth. You have chosen to reject it. That's on you. you In other words, you can't plead ignorance anymore. You've heard the gospel truth. So if you hadn't heard, it's still not an excuse, but you can say, well, I didn't know. Well, now you know, and you choose to reject it. So your blood is on your own heads. I am clean. I am innocent of your blood. And he says, now I'm going to the Gentiles. I'm taking the gospel to the Gentiles. And this is what's interesting about that. Just like back in Antioch and elsewhere, just the same things happening in Corinth. He was going to take his saving message to people who knew how to appreciate it. And he didn't have to go very far. Because guess what? There's a house right next door to the synagogue. And he's going, <laughs> it's like, all right, I'm leaving. I'm walking out, the synagogue. oh, right next door. To the house right next door, he found a Gentile believer. So you look at verse 7. So we talk about now, we're sharing the gospel no matter where you go. Sharing the gospel no matter what the response. And then number three, finally, share the gospel with confidence in the one true God. Paul leaves the synagogue, goes right next door to a, a Gentile believer's home. And, and I will tell you this, some of the commentators I read actually believe at the end of Romans, in, in chapter 16, verse 23, Paul mentions a guy named by the name of Gaius who was a leader in the church in Corinth. And so, so many commentators believe that this name here, the proper name, Titius Justus, actually is referring to a given name of Gaius, that, that this is the same guy that, that Paul was referring to in Romans. But we're not sure about that, but that's not necessarily uh, so important to this message because he goes next door to this home who is a... Wor- the, guy's a his, the Bible says he's a worshiper of God... His house is right next door to the synagogue. It's almost like adding insult to injury. Like Paul takes all his following that was gathered in the synagogue. All right, we're leaving. You go right next door. <laughs> so the, the people in the synagogue are looking like, oh, all those people left us and they're going over here. So, so they can still see what's happening. And so it's almost like just uh, making them more and more jealous, so, which I think is hilarious. But, uh, so he goes next door, and look at the first thing that happens. Verse 8, the leader of the synagogue gets saved. <laughs> Y'all find that funny? I find that hilarious because he leaves the synagogue because people are uh, rejecting him and opposing him. Then the leader of the synagogue and all his family gets saved, so they're leaving the synagogue and going next door to this other guy's house. So you see that verse eight: he believed in the Lord with all his household and many of the Corinthians. So Paul has taken his message away from those. He went to the Jews first, as he always does. He went to the synagogue preached the gospel, they rejected him, he walks right next door, and guess what? A church is planted. Many Corinthians believed and were baptized. The leader of the synagogue and his whole family believed and are baptized. And so he's meeting in a Gentile believer's home, and that's where the church is planted in Corinth. So you see that even though there was opposition, Paul had to... Keep these points in mind. It doesn't matter where I go, I'm going to preach the gospel. It doesn't matter how they respond, I'm going to preach the gospel. And then I'm going to have confidence in the one true sovereign God because guess what? It doesn't matter what the people do or say, I'm going to go forward with the gospel because I trust the God I'm preaching. Does that make sense? I can trust that God has got it under control. It's not relying on me anyway i 'm the the messenger. I have to bring the message, and that 's what he 's faithful to do. so as if paul maybe uh, maybe it 's piling up on him at this point. the last two or three cities he's been, a lot of opposition he's suffered quite a bit he's been beaten in Philippi, he was beaten, thrown in jail, and God brought him out of that and started a church <laughs> using the Philippian jailer, as one of the founding members. So God is still faithful, but maybe put yourself in that position. Are you becoming discouraged a little bit now? Gosh, Lord, everywhere I've been, they've uh, opposed the gospel. I've, I've been beaten up. I've been thrown in jail. It just seems like no matter what I do, no matter where I go, the people are against the gospel. And maybe he's getting down. Maybe, maybe he's, despite the, the response that he receives at the house next door to the synagogue, uh, maybe he's feeling a little discouraged. Well, that's the perfect time for God to show up and reassure him that there's one God and he's in control. So when you read this scripture and you look at verse 9, the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision. Now understand who that is. We are in about the year 50 A.D. So we're 15 years roughly removed from death, burial, resurrection of Christ. So where is Jesus at this point? He is on the throne of glory, ruling and reigning. You know who that's talking about, verse 9? That's the risen Savior, the Lord. That's who came and spoke to him. The same one who met him on the road to Damascus and saved him to begin with is is talking to him at night. And look what he says. This is beautiful. This whole vision is beautiful. He first says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I know you've encountered some opposition. Matter of fact, if you want to connect the dots a little bit, you you can jot this down and I'll read it to you. You can go back and look later. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, He's writing back to this very church, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3. He says to them, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. He was discouraged. He needed a word from the Lord. And the Lord delivered. And he said, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Forget the opposition. Don't worry about these people who are opposed to the gospel. Don't be afraid. Then he says, go on speaking and don't be silent. So be bold in your proclamation of the gospel. Be confident in me, is what Jesus is saying. Don't be afraid. Go on speaking. Don't be silent. Then he says, I am with you. You see that? Verse 10, I am with you. Does this ring a bell? Hebrews, you can jot these down, I'll just, I'll read them to you, but you can just jot jot the reference down if you want to. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, he himself has said, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. So harking back to Joshua. So Jesus says, I'm with you. And and just for, for fun, what about the Great Commission? Matthew chapter 28 and verse 20. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He says, I'm with you. Don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent. I am with you. And then look what he says. Verse 10. No man will attack you in order to harm you. Hebrews 13 and verse 6. So we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? No man will attack you in order to harm you. And then he says, this, this is the icing on the cake of this vision. The end of verse 10. I have many people in this city. You know what that means? The sovereign God of the universe looks down to Paul and the city of Corinth and he sees through divine eyes something that none of us can ever see. There's a lot of people down there about to get saved. So you just keep on. I know what's going on. There's some people down there and they're going to hear the gospel and they're not going to reject it. They're going to be gloriously made new. So don't be afraid. Nobody's going to hurt you. Don't be silent. Keep speaking. I'm with you, he says. I'm with you. I have many people in this city that are yet to hear the gospel, that are yet to respond. So you just keep preaching. You just keep preaching and have confident faith knowing that I'm going to take care of it. So what does Paul do in response? Verse 11. So he stayed there another 18 months. <laughs> he set up shop. He settled. Look at the word there in verse 11. He settled there a year and a half teaching the Word of God among them. Folks, I want you to know, things can, can seem pretty rough sometimes. People can, can break your spirit or try to. They can try to get you down. You can preach the gospel. You can try to live as a Christian. You can share the good news. And you can feel like you're not getting through to anybody. And it's at that moment you start to feel a little down. Maybe you say a word like this. Well, I don't know why I even try. I mean, I, I, t- I try to tell people about Jesus everywhere I go. I try to be faithful and obedient to share the word, and I just keep getting shot down. Nobody wants to hear what I have to say. Why do I even, why do I even try? I mean, wh- what's the point? What's the point? And it's at that moment. The Holy Spirit reorient your mindset. And say, who's in charge of this work again? Is it you? Is the entire kingdom of God on your shoulders? Because you're such an eloquent speaker and you're such a bold witness. So if if you can't get them saved, well I guess the whole Great Commission is just going down the tank. Does that sound right? God whispers in your ear. Whose work is this again? It's mine. And he says, I ask you to be faithful and obedient to share the gospel. And you pray and you speak and you love people. And then you leave the rest to a sovereign, holy God. Because he's faithful, he's trustworthy. He's never lied. He always keeps his promises. We, We cannot carry a burden that doesn't belong to us. You understand what I'm saying? Our burden is to open our mouths and share the gospel. Tell somebody about Jesus. Our burden is not to engineer their salvation, it's to tell them about the Savior. And trust the Spirit of God to do what only He can do. So we share the gospel, no matter where we go. We share the gospel, no matter what the response. We share the gospel trusting with confidence in the one true God. Jesus saves, right? Isn't that what we say? I don't. I'm not the man, but I know the man. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.